ninth episode, not the 90th, if we count trailers and specials, of the Wit & Whiskey cast. I am your host, Marcus Eddie Jr., joined, as always, by my partner in crime, the uh, future Mr. Mom. That was a movie, right? Wasn't that an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie? <laughs> Maybe. DJ Gagnon. I think you're thinking Junior, but sure. Hey, everybody. It's good to be back. So this week we're going to talk about, uh, well, it's something we both enjoy, although I think DJ's a little higher on it than I am since he actually has recently attended one of these uh, wonderful events. We're going to talk about conventions in whiskey. And no, we're not going to talk about boring work conventions where you just want to hurry up and get through everything and then go to the bar. We're going to talk about fun conventions, music, gaming, uh, mm. dealer's rooms, anime, the works. I, I would make the distinction here between a fun convention and a work conference. I mean, I've gone to a couple work conventions, conferences, whatever, that were enjoyable, mostly because all historians are alcoholics. So most of them, if they're not at a bar themselves, everyone retires to the bar at the end of the night. You get most of your networking done there. Sure, but I I would never call Anime Boston a conference. It's always I feel like convention is for the fun personal life stuff, and conference is for the professional stuff. Hmm, that's interesting. Well, what if your fun personal life stuff is your profession? I still have never heard of a professional <laughs> convention. Like it's always been anime I mean, board E3 games D a, a professional convention. I mean, it doesn't exist anymore, but e yes, that doesn't count. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Glad we yes. did this. Conventions I want an argument. Conferences. I'll give you this one. <laughs> so, uh, aside from you know winning arguments, what have you been doing this weekend? Oh man, I mean, it's been a couple of weeks. L last week, trying to record was a logistical nightmare, and Mark, you know, wasn't still wasn't tip top shape, and I, I was still trying to catch up on sleep. Um, but Anime Boston has happened since. Uh, the last time we chatted, and uh, I'm going to talk all about that later. Uh, but other than that, uh, I officially have paint up on every surface that needs paint, and I just have to do second coats now, and it feels super good. You're making me a little gun shy here when you talk about paint. I'm actually picking that shit off of my hands as we speak. Uh, the garage is up. Nice. Uh, it's finished up. Uh, Four wonderful Amish gentlemen, or they could have been Mennonites, but I think by their attire, I think they were actually Amish, came up. They were chauffeured two and a half hours one way, and over the course of two days, they erected this fine structure. And it's a little weird, you know, we've, I have literally been dreaming about our own custom-built shop in the backyard of the house I grew up in since I was, I don't know, four or five so it's weird to actually see your dreams kind of realized. You know, we talked a couple episodes ago that, you know, Americans are very big on attainable dreams. And, well, here we go. We have one here. And it was like, wow. You know, I don't know if it's what I expected or not because I don't know what I was expecting. <laughs> uh, but the old man and I painted the floor. We prepped it on Sunday. and We painted it on Monday as we record this. And let me just tell you, epoxy sucks. Does it? Well, you have to... Now, we didn't have to go through, like, the whole insane... Some of the insane steps to prep because, uh, you know, it was a new floor. But you still have to use, you know, Tide and water and, uh, 
you're, we could skip most of the muriatic acid, but you're supposed to do acid baths. And then you have the paint, like the actual epoxy part. And then you have to mix in this activator, which is like, you know, you get high as a kite just from opening this bucket. And then once they're mixed together, you literally have 35 to 45 minutes, depending on air temperature. And they give you a little chart, you know, if the air temperature is this, you have this long, and et cetera, et cetera. You have between 35 and 45 minutes before it completely hardens. Jesus. And so you have to start going. And the first half of the garage was no big deal. We had it mixed perfectly. We had everything. We were going to town. Uh, and the second half, I screwed up a little bit in that I didn't empty the bottom of the bucket out, which I should have, or used another bucket. We had oodles of five-gallon pails. And I just said, all the hell with it. We'll keep going. So this, the old stuff started to actually harden in the bottom of the bucket. And when I went to pull it out, that was when I learned that uh, it is a... Oh, Allie explained this to me. Allie has a minor in chemistry. It is an exothermic reaction. Mm-hmm. I think that's what she said. So it was uh, like well over 100 degrees, if not more, <laughs> when I grabbed it. Uh, this solid piece and pulled it out. Burned the shit out of my hand. It's just completely fucked. And, you know, the old man kicks it into the grass, and it's just sitting in the grass steaming with absolutely nothing on it. So once I got done screaming and cursing God and everyone within a five-mile radius, we opened another kit and remixed and did the whole nine yards and then finished the garage. But it took most of two days. Uh, You now have to let it sit a minimum of 72 hours Hmm. before you can do anything. Uh, And your dad knows this, right? Oh, yes. I've beat it into his head. Okay, good. Uh, And it says right on the box, too. Uh, So... Hopefully, by the time we record the next episode, we'll actually have started moving stuff in. But, yeah, I mean, the floor looks great. It's going to be really – it's going to give it a lot of protection. It's the kind of stuff that, like, you know, major shops use. But that's one and done, man. I could see why people charge, like, $1,500 to install this shit. Just no way. (laughs) Well, hopefully your hand is okay and recovers well. You know what makes you feel good? Holding a nice cold glass of whiskey like I am right now. (laughs) Amazing. Speaking of which, what are you drinking? Well, I uh, I went to the store and I had found a pretty interesting bourbon that I wanted to try, and I was like, you know what, I'm gonna take a tour through the the like weird aisle, the one that has you know the scotches and the Irishes and the rye and all of the stuff that's not like American, uh, which is weird. Uh, because I found a completely clear whiskey sitting on the shelf. And I was like, I wonder if this is one of those corn whiskeys that Mark is is talking about. And so I picked it up, and I took a look at it, and I was like, oh, oh no, this is, this is, not, this is not the same thing that Mark <laughs> was talking about. Uh, so I picked up what is called Silo Solstice. Uh, it's from the Silo Distillery up up uh, near my neck of the woods in Vermont, and it is distilled from barley, wheat, orange peel, and spices in UFO white beer. Have you ever had okay. UFO? I can't say I have. Uh, I think that might be a, a local distillery. We're all about local shit up here for beer. I, I don't know if that's a thing in Pennsylvania too, but there's like a billion micro and nano breweries around here. Basically, in PA, uh, 
there's two camps. There's people who uh, love IPAs, and then there's people that have taste. <laughs> uh, so being that I have taste, I don't drink 90% of what's out there. That's fair. Uh, so this was made um, in collaboration with the Harpoon Distillery that, that I'm pretty sure they're the ones that make UFO. Well, see, I've had Harpoon. Okay, so I think they have an offshoot that's called UFO. I don't know that much about it. Uh, but it is a completely clear whiskey, like no brown whatsoever. Like I'm looking into it, it looks like vodka in my glass. And so it doesn't taste woody because it's unaged. And um, so it does kind of have a an alcohol, like a, almost gasoline-y type taste, you know, like vodka, right? Like vodka's got that, that holy crap, this is definitely liquor. Um, and it's got a little bit of that, but it does have a pretty decent flavor profile. Okay. I can kind of, I can kind of taste some of the beer back, backbone, which, I, I mean, we've talked about this in previous episodes. The mash bill that you make for whiskey, I mean, you're going to ferment it first and then you're going to distill it. So there are distilleries that just make, like, that they skip that whole first step and they just bring beer in and they distill the beer. Um, so it, it it's pretty good. I I definitely expected it to be a little bit more gasoline-y. I, I, I'll be honest, I expected it to be a lot more gasoline-y. I, I expected this to be kind of like, you know, sipping vodka neat, uh, which I don't think anybody does unless it's frozen. Um... But it's pretty good. It's definitely got spices. It's definitely that that orange comes through. I, it doesn't scream whiskey to me. Like it is obviously a whiskey, but it doesn't have the wood or the smoke that you'd be used to. Um, it kind of just has like a clean palate and it doesn't burn very long at all. It's like weirdly smooth for something that hasn't been aged. You know, we started off with a movie reference with Mr. Mom, which may or may not be an actual movie. Uh, I'll tell you what it was an actual movie with Swordfish. Mm-hmm. And John Travolta had a great line in that movie that I think applies to your review. It sounds a lot like masturbation without the payoff. <laughs> I, you know, I'm going to save some of this and hopefully we'll get you up to New Hampshire at some point in the next year. Um, and I, w- I want you to try this because I think, I think you would find it interesting. I don't think this would be your favorite thing in the world. That's fair. But I like it. I, I think it's good. And they have some, if you go on the Silo website, they've got uh, cocktail recipes you can make, and one of them is basically just a Manhattan. So you can make a Manhattan with clear whiskey. <laughs> that could actually be kind of fun, though. I did, I was watching an episode of Bar Rescue th- over the weekend, and they did... Uh, they did like a reverse Manhattan where they swapped the ratios for the uh, the whiskey and the um, the wine thinger, the vermouth. Vermouth. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it, it's been a day. Um, and so it was like two ounces of vermouth to one ounce of whiskey, and I was like, that doesn't actually sound very good. Now here's the thing: I am a vermouth guy. Uh, you know, our good buddy Lou and I used to argue all the time because Lou doesn't even want the bottles of vermouth talking to the bottles of whatever he's drinking because <laughs> it'll make him feel bad. 
Uh, I'm a vermouth guy. I it's widely accepted. I like far more vermouth than most humans can tolerate. Even I don't think that sounds good. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just straight up two ounces of vermouth, and I'm like, I just no, thank you, not for me. Um, but I I do kind of want to try to make some cocktails with this because I feel like mixing it with sweet vermouth, you're just gonna get something violently red. Yes. So what are you drinking? Uh, I am drinking Jim Beam's Double Oak Twice Casked. And uh, this whole, you know, double oaking thing, it's not exactly a new phenomenon. I mean, people have been putting whiskey into multiple barrels and multiple casks, basically since we've been making whiskey. But this is one of the new trends. This is one of the new uh, yuppie rises. This is one of the more popular things you'll see. Everybody's got a double oak out now. Jim Beam, uh, Woodford Reserve. <clears throat> There's a couple of Irish whiskeys that have uh, double pots. You know, same same idea, just with an Irish. And I had really liked the Woodford Reserve, which I mean, I like most of what they make. And so when I saw Jim Beam was doing their own version, and it was you know half the price of a bottle of the Woodford, I said, "All right, well, the hell with it. We'll give it a try." Because we reviewed, I think, basically everything but regular Jim on, on this <laughs> podcast. So oh, man, yeah, that's there. probably for me to do, huh? Well, I mean, I drink it, too. We'll figure that one out. But, I mean, <laughs> we, we've done the Jim Beam Black. We've done the canned stuff. We've done, uh, I did the pre-prohibition rye. Now I'm doing the double oak. I think we've done basically everything but the regular stuff. Mm. So uh, I'll give you the heads up. Uh, the mash bill, it's 77% corn. It's 13% rye. 10% malted barley. Uh, it's aged in new charred oak casks, and of course, two of them, hence the double oak. There's no actual certified age statement, but it's between three and four years, give or take, depending on what you read, what websites and whatnot you look at. Uh, the alcohol, it's pretty low. It's only 86 proof. It's only 43% ABV. So it's pretty uh, smooth. You could sip it. You're not really going to get blasted on it. The price, it costs more than a bottle of regular gym, but doesn't everything. Uh, it was, wasn't that expensive. I, I bought it last week uh, before you know, the world ended. I think it was like 36 bucks, 38 bucks, something like that. Nice. Unlike your clear whiskey, this is dark. <laughs> I <laughs> this is like... fucking hope so with a double oak. <laughs> yeah, this is like fucking dark. I'm at, the best way I could describe it is if you ever go to McDonald's or Burger King and you get like one of the fountain Cokes and then you let the ice melt a little bit. So it's still really dark, but it's a little watery kind of, that's what this looks like. <clears throat> it smells a hell of a lot sweeter than it is. When you just smell the nose, you're like, Ooh, there's some vanilla and there's some caramel and there's almost like a fruity toffee candy smell. Very little of that is in the actual taste. You know what you get? You get oak. Yeah, no shit. Then you, then you get some more oak. Then you get some more oak on top of that. Um, there is a little bit of maple in there, although it's not sweet. It's more of an aftertaste. And uh, the finish is something that I really like, not just in whiskey, but in cigars as well. And it's something that I know you absolutely despise. The finish has a very strong ending of leather. Ugh. And it just hangs. <laughs> yeah, you, you would not like this. 
Uh, overall, you know, it's pretty, like we said, it's lightweight on the ABV, so it's light to medium body. It's pretty smooth leather aside and big woody taste, but you gotta like earth and tones. You gotta like leather. You gotta like wood. You have to, you know, there's even a little, like I said, maple and nutty and tree there, you know, basically all the good earth tones and earth tastes. That's what you get. Overall, I like it. It's definitely a big step up from regular Jim Beam. And while it's not as good as the Woodford Double Oak, it's also like half as much a bottle. So you could actually put this into the regular rotation and not break yourself. So I say go for it. Yeah, fair. I, we're both going pretty low on the whiskey ABV tonight because mine's only an we 80 are. proof. Yeah, I, you know, hey, we didn't plan this again, folks, as you should figure out by now, almost 90 episodes in. We don't do this much prep work. But... You know, sometimes the lower stuff works. You know, I I feel like I got to stick up for some of my cascade stuff here because they're always cascade stuff is almost always double aged. You know, they do sure. like an initial oak barrel and then they'll do like a sherry cask or a port cask or, you know, something crazy like that. And I just I I find double cask stuff kind of pointless. Because I like that extra layer of complexity, and it's like, we heard you liked wood in your wood, so we added more wood. Well, see, basically, you know, I was ragging on IPA guys a few minutes ago, and I'm going to continue to, because you're all scum. But aside from that, there is a market in the whiskey for the same type. You know, a guy like me with a long neck beard that goes, oh, yeah, well, you know what would make this even better? Just, like, actual twigs floating around in it. Ah." Yeah, you and know what I, would make this better? If I could just chewed on fucking wood chips while drinking this whiskey. Yeah, and I, I think that's the segment of the market they're going for. I've been genuinely surprised at how many just random bottles and brands are just doing the whole double oak or, you know, double cask. If it doesn't have a different finish, like if you have a sherry finish or something, then, then I understand. But just the double the wood, I've been very surprised because I can't imagine there's too many people like me out in the world, but maybe there is. I mean, bitter old people who just want to chew on wood chips is plenty of you. Yeah, but aren't we all dying off? No. (laughs) There's new ones born every day. Speaking of things that are born, I think uh, think we actually made a segue there. Because aren't you going to talk about something like that in Whiskey News, or Tools of the Trade, rather? I mean, not really. Watermelon are born. You don't birth a watermelon. You grow a watermelon. Growing, birthing, it's all the same. You're creating a living thing. How many whiskeys are you in tonight? Two. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so tools of the trade today. uh, Going going back to my summer theme, um, one of my favorite YouTube channels is called Tipsy Bartender. Uh, So if if you haven't watched uh, their channel, they're fantastic. And they just really high energy. They have some really cool bartending tips. But uh, for summer, they also just do a lot of, like, here's a bunch of shit you can put in a cooler and make jungle juice. Um, And it always looks uh, amazing in a really terrible, like, college frat party kind of way. Um, But one of the things that Tipsy Bartender turned me on to was the idea of making a watermelon keg. And I think this idea is super cool. So I looked up some different recipes, and I feel like this... Uh, we're we're edging into an area of cocktail culture that I'm not very familiar with because I measure everything, uh, whether it's a pour spout or a jigger. 
I measure everything exactly, and I try to get, like, just a perfectly balanced cocktail, and I'm super anal retentive about it. Uh, and we're edging into cocktail culture where it's a lot of, like, I don't know, taste it. If it's good, it's good. Uh, so there are actual kits you can get to tap watermelons. This is a pretty common party goof. Uh, so you want to start off with whatever you're doing here. Get a giant watermelon. Don't get one of those personal seed, uh, seedless ones that are for, like, one person because that's pointless. Um, so get a really big watermelon and what you do is you cut a very thin layer off the bottom so that you have a surface for it to stand on. Make sure the watermelon's standing up. Uh, and you don't cut too deeply into the watermelon. If you're seeing red, then the alcohol and juices are not going to stay in the watermelon. So just keep that in mind. If you're worried about it, you can get uh, a nice little platter to put it on or something like that. Um, then you make sure you wash the outside of the watermelon you cut the top off, and you scoop out as much of the watermelon as you can, uh, making sure to keep a thin uh, red layer all around the inside. Uh, if you don't do that, if you carve it all the way down to the green, your your whatever you put in it is going to start getting pretty bitter pretty quickly. So try to leave uh, you know a little bit of the, the, the good pink flesh in there. Man, it really sounds kind of creepy what I'm saying here. <laughs> Yeah, this is like the old alien autopsy videos from the 90s, but keep going. Uh, so you take all that, the, the watermelon, and I, I pulled up some, some different recipes here. And again, no measurements. Uh, but for one recipe, for both these recipes, you're going to take all that watermelon, you're going to blend it. And then for the first recipe, you're going to add uh, whatever your favorite lemonade is, some passion fruit juice, and then... It says your favorite rum or vodka that has been kept in the freezer for a few hours. Uh, I did look this up because I couldn't actually picture in my head passion fruit juice. Uh, but in the refrigerator section where you can get all the fancy juices like orange juice and shit like that. Uh, Welch's, I believe, does. Orange make... juice is your example of a fancy juice. Well, there's like cranberry juice that you can get on the store shelves and then there's like the ones that have to be refrigerated the fancy juices don't give me shit mark let me finish tools of the trade you are not a practical man but go ahead anywho uh so if you go into that section because welch's has shelf stable grape juices and then they have juices that have to be refrigerated and there is a passion fruit one that you can get so you can grab that and grab a lemonade uh, and you blend the watermelon up with those as much as, you know, to taste, basically. Uh, and they recommend here something that I thought was pretty cool, which is uh, put all of those juices back in the watermelon after you've tapped it and serve the liquor on the side so that any little kids that are at your summer party can try some of this cool juice and people who want it to be boozy can add the booze in later. So I thought that was pretty cool. There are uh, specific kits that you can get that will tap watermelons. You can also just use a drill and a normal tap kit if you happen to have one. Uh, and you basically just drill a hole at the bottom uh, and you screw the, the tap in, uh, screw the back on, and make sure it's it's uh, watertight. You know, Maybe put some, some of the juice in, make sure it doesn't leak, and then pour the rest of it in. Uh, the second recipe I got uh, is, and again, I did not create these, um, but uh, it, it, it's a bunch of stuff. Coconut rum, rum, peach snaps, melon liqueur, 
the ju- juice blended from the watermelon, orange juice, lemonade. It's crazy shit. Uh, they even recommend like floating some melon balls uh, in the, the cocktail as well. Um, you could do all sorts of crazy garnishes. This is a great season for pineapple. So I, I'm going to be putting pineapple in fucking everything because it's my favorite fruit. Uh, so, you know, feel free to go nuts. Um, there's a lot of really cool things you can do with, with watermelon kegs. Uh, you can make them, you can make mocktails in them too. Um, you don't have to use the watermelon, I guess, but if you're going to make a watermelon keg, you might as well use the watermelon juice. I just, I had an epiphany just now while you were finishing that last bit up. Yeah. I never understood your just absolute visceral hatred of Sunny Delight. It's nasty. Well, I understand now because you think orange juice is fancy. Well, no, I don't think orange juice is fancy, but that is a good touchstone for people to know where to go in the grocery store to get passion fruit juice, which I do consider kind of fancy. You ain't right, boy. But all right, either way, that sounds really yummy. Have you ever opened a passion fruit? No. You've never seen the inside of a passion fruit? No. What world do you live in? No, of course not. Uh, I have opened many passion fruit. Don't talk shit about this. I I use it to make um, uh, lemon curd all the time. Yes, because my hobbies include, you know, pipe and cigar smoking, tinkering on old cars, playing the bass guitar, and making lemon curd. (laughs) What the fuck is whiskey news? Move us along. Well, since (coughs) unlike DJ, I am a practical man. Well. And I am a proud American. I like bigger things. Bigger is always better. It's not true. And uh, recently, uh, a record was set in between the time of this episode and our last episode. Uh, The world's largest bottle of whiskey was sold at auction. Uh, It's called the Intrepid. And it was uh, distilled in, it was originally cast in 1989. And it had been sitting ever since, aging slowly. It's a single malt from our good friends at McClellan, so it's probably good and peaty. Uh, Now, it was bottled in 2021 and went on tour for about a year and then was just recently sold uh, a couple of weeks ago. So it was sold for $1.4 million to an anonymous international collector. That's the exact quote. Which, that's when you know that you've made it. You could just, you know, go to these huge auctions and they don't even reveal your name, but they're just like, oh, yeah, we all know him. You know, he likes to collect his shit. Uh, I'm going to give you some stats here, okay? So 32 years old, as we said, 43% ABV. Again, pretty low on the totem pole, but okay, fair enough. The bottle stands without the little podium that it's on, just the bottle itself, 5 feet 11 inches tall. So my height, just to put that into perspective. Jesus. <laughs> yes, just to put that into perspective. It holds, are you ready for this? 82.16 U.S. gallons. That's amazing. Which is several kegs of beer. Uh, 311 liters, for those of you who are in Europe land. 
That is the equivalent of just over 444 standard bottles of scotch. Or enough, the McClellan people claim. Now, this is a scotch. I don't know why this website is listing this. But if you do the normal pour, it would be enough for 5,287 whiskey sours. I guess since it's scotch, you could substitute Rob Roy for a whiskey sour. Damn. Still. Yeah. Uh, and according to it, it is a pale gold mix, and it has a rather sweet taste. So I guess it isn't too peaty, with overarching notes of apple, according to the auction listing. So uh, there you go. Uh, you know, world's biggest bottle of whiskey. Not the most expensive bottle of McClellan ever sold. There was a 60-year-old bottle that sold for $1.5 million that I believe we talked about a year or two ago on Whiskey News. But, uh, yeah, so if you bought a six-foot bottle of whiskey and you're listening to this, send me some. D- didn't, didn't you say you love America? I do, but I like scotch, too. You're bragging about scotch and you love America. I don't know about you. Hey, I'm not the one drinking beer whiskey. <laughs> At least it's an American-made product, Mark. It is. It is. So you got that going for you. <laughs> um, but either way, I'm intrigued. There's, if, you're, if, you want, uh, if you're interested in this, you can either Google just world's biggest bottle of whiskey or uh, just Google the intrepid McClellan distillery. And there's pictures of it. And it's fucking huge. You, you don't really think about how big a six-foot-tall bottle of whiskey would be, but it's fucking big. I mean, I think about it. It's taller. It's, it's about the height of the bookcases I'm staring at right now. Yeah. It's a lot of whiskey. It's a lot of whiskey. 82 gallons. All right. Now for the topic at hand. We've established the difference between a convention and a conference. <laughs> so if you find yourself at a convention... Uh, you know, what should you do? Which one should you go to? What one should you do? Um, DJ and I are going to talk about some of the ones that we personally have done and give you some of our little uh, tools and tips here. And then maybe if we have a little bit of time, we could talk about some of the ones that we want to go to, but we haven't quite made it to yet. Mm. Uh, so, all right, well, why don't you start? Run through your list of what you've gone to. And give a little description of each one, and then I'll go through my list, and then we can go back and forth with some of the tips. Yeah, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, I generally, I, I've gone for uh, just repeat visits to the same ones. Uh, so officially, the only two that I have been to is Anime Boston and PAX East. Um, I do kind of consider our local free comic book day a convention at this point, because it takes over an entire town for an entire day. And they have an exhibit hall and comic book artists come and it, it, it's a whole thing. So I'd say like two and a third uh, conventions at this point. Uh, I've been to work conferences. I'm not going to talk about those. Those are completely different uh, and have a very different vibe. Um, but Anime Boston's the one that I've been to the most, the most consistently. Um, this year, to throw some numbers at everybody... I believe this year was the 20th time that Anime Boston was held. Uh, it was my wife's 16th Anime Boston and my 10th. Uh, and I started going 12 years ago, and the reason why those numbers don't match is because the Rona. Uh, so um, 
COVID-19 canceled the con in both 2020 and 2021. So this year was the first time we've had it since 2019, which is pretty crazy now that I think about it. Uh, Anime Boston is held in the titular Boston uh, up here in Massachusetts. And uh, it's held at the Prudential Center, uh, which is a really large shopping complex. It's got it's got two giant uh, hotels on either side. There's a Marriott on one end, and a Sheridan on the other side. I think I've never stayed at the the one closest to the con, uh, but close to the Sheridan side of the Prudential Center is the Heinz Convention Center. Uh, and like 30,000 people easy show up for this con every year. Uh, so Anime Boston is usually weirdly held on Easter weekend. Uh, I don't know why. This was the first year it wasn't held on Easter weekend. I think they had to push it out because, you know, again, COVID. Uh, but I think next year it's actually on Easter weekend again. So I largely have not celebrated Easter much in the last 12 years. Um, it starts on a Friday and it wraps up around three or 4 PM on the, the same, that the Sunday following. Um, I have a lot of cool tips and tricks about anime Boston, but I'm going to save them for later. Uh, the other one is PAX East also held in Boston, but held at the Boston convention center, uh, which is so much bigger than the Heinz. And I think, I mean, what is it with PAX East Market? Isn't it like 100,000 people descend on Boston for this convention? Yeah, it it has become the biggest of the five that they do. But I'll I'll talk about the breakdown a little bit more when I go. But yeah, it's it's well into the six figures over four days. It's Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday now. Mm -hmm. So whereas Anime Boston's all about Japanese animation, Japanese comics, Japanese music, it's it's basically a, a love letter to to Japanese otaku culture. Um, PAX East is a, it's a gaming convention. Uh, it started out specifically video gaming, uh, but uh, now there is a huge tabletop element as well. They've got a huge section full of board games. There's a lot of, uh, you know, the CCG type stuff with Yu-Gi-Oh! and Magic and Pokemon showing up. Um, a, every big name in video gaming that you can think of probably has a presence at PAX East. Um, and the cool thing about PAX, uh, in general, now that there's like five or six conventions of it, uh, it all started from the Penny Arcade webcomic, um, which I, I feel like is not talked about enough. Um, but I, you know, I've been reading Penny Arcade for 15 years now. Um, and it, I mean, it's fun. It's a great, it's a great webcomic. And I feel like PAX has kind of transcended its origins in a really interesting way. Oh, it, it absolutely has. I mean, you go there now and you, I mean, East especially, because East is the biggest, but if you go to South, if you go to the one in Australia, you go to any of them, uh, with the exception of West, because West was the first one, and you stop 20 people and show them a picture of Jerry and Mike, who Penny Arcade and you know, founded everything, they'll have no idea who they are. They're like, what panel are they doing? Yeah, nobody, but if you show them a picture of Tycho and Gabe, there's a better chance that they would know. Uh, you'd go from one out of 20 to maybe five. Yeah, I I will say uh, all my years of going to PAX, maybe, I've, I think I've gone like four or five times at this point. 
Uh, I've never met those two. I've never been in a panel with them. I know that they're there. Never been able to find a, a way to actually see them in person. I've seen them across the room. I've never actually met them. Um, although, I mean, I stopped reading the comic a couple of years ago just because the current art style hurts my eyes and I can't <laughs> read it. But I thought right around when they started super breaking them up that they were kind of taking a step back and weren't going to as many of them as they used to. But maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it again, it has transcended the webcomic Uh I, I don't think they go to all of them anymore just because they both are older and have families and can't be jet-setting around the country six times a year for conventions. But that what about you, sense. buddy? Where, where have you been? Well, uh, I, too, have done uh, PAX, although you know PAX East uh, was the first one I went to, and it's the biggest one. But I've also gone to PAX Unplugged a few times, which is in Philadelphia at the big conference center. It was originally the first two uh, Thanksgiving weekend, which was not really bueno. Uh, and they've since moved it into December, which is fun in Philadelphia, let me tell you. Hmm. And it's funny because we talk about like, oh, this is the small, like anything you look up on PAX, because there's five or six PAX now. Uh, the original one was in Washington where... Uh, you know, the comic is centered and where everybody lives. And then they went to PAX East, which was the second one. And so you had PAX East, and then they called the original one PAX Prime. And that lasted about three years because by that point, East was like triple the size of PAX Prime. Uh, there's also PAX South, which is in Texas somewhere, which is a, a small one from what I understand. You have PAX Unplugged, which is in Philadelphia, and we're going to talk about it in a minute. And then you have PAX Australia, which that always blows my mind. Of all the countries to get a PAX, apparently they're, they're big enough down there that they could have their own. Mm-hmm. Fucking two days on a plane either way just to get there. Hell no. Uh, but Unplugged it was the most recent one that was added. And as the name suggests, it's all about board games, tabletop games, card games, CCGs. Uh, this is uh, my and our good friend Dave's jam. We just go row by row, aisle by aisle. We don't stop. We don't eat. We don't do anything. We just look at as many things as possible. We demo as many games as possible. We talk to as many gaming creators as possible. And if you look at the numbers, you know, if you read things online, everybody's like, oh, yeah, PAX Unplugged, that's the small one. And it is compared to East, compared to Prime. But it still draws between thirty-five and 50,000 people. Oh, yeah. It's kind of bonkers that the smallest PAX convention dwarfs Anime Boston every year. Yeah. So, you know, you have to keep that in mind when you're going. Um, it's right in the heart of downtown Philly, so you can take the train in, you can take the subway in, you could drive in. Uh, Philly's one of the easier cities to get around in driving, although parking can be brutally expensive. And... It's just, it's a lot of fun. You're going to see games that you've never even thought of. You're going to sit down for demos for games that you're like, wow, this is insane. And then you're going to see some people that it's like, why do you even bother? Um, I had a guy mad at me the last time I went because there was a game entitled Downforce. <laughs> I don't even know if it ever got published, but it was like, oh, a racing game. And Dave's like, oh, you should try this. It's a racing game. I said, all right, I'll, I'll demo it. Let's go. And he explained the rules, and it literally was just sorry, but with little car tokens. <laughs> and I said that to the guy, and he was not very happy. 
so you have that. You have PAX East, which DJ already touched on. Uh, the first uh, con I ever went to was actually Oticon down in the Baltimore area, which at the time, and this was, God, pushing 20 years ago now, at the time was one of the biggest anime conventions in the country. I don't think it is anymore. It's one of the oldest now, but I, I think it's been usurped. Uh, but that's a good time. You know, you, a lot of the, you see a lot of reveals there, you know, for different new animes or if, you know, some a big famous anime in Japan is going to get a uh, subcontract with, you know, Crunchyroll or someplace, you uh, actually get to see... <laughs> You're sending me the link for Downforce. No, I don't want to play it. <laughs> uh, although that box looks different. Hang on. You're messing me up now. <laughs> oh, no, that's the same box. Never mind. That looked like a skateboard for a second, but it's a helmet. Yeah, that's it. So if you want to play Sorry, you can go on Target's website, and it's however the hell much it is, $25. Um, but no, so, you know, a lot, a lot of big reveals are at Otakon. They have a pretty big dealer's room. And what's fun about Otakon, as opposed to, say, any of the PAXs or some of these other conventions, is Otakon is a 24-hour convention. Mm. Uh, so you have stuff going on all the time. Uh, a lot of the stuff late at night is 18+, plus, which we'll talk about a little bit later, which can be awesome, can be... In, anime uh, Boston's the same way. Yeah, and those are fun cons. Uh, I went to Anime USA which was in Virginia, if I remember right. I went to that once. That was kind of fun because that was a smaller convention. There was only a couple of thousand people there. It was a lot more intimate, like not in the creepy way, but just like you could see everything and actually you could sit down with a panel schedule and the dealer's room map and everything. And over the three days, you could hit pretty much everything you wanted to hit if you planned it right. Whereas, you know, Otakon and PAX East and everything, one person just can't do it. Yeah. Uh, probably my favorite convention, although from I haven't gone in several years, and from what I understand, they're having some very hard times recently, was I was a huge fan of MAGFest. And MAGFest uh, stands for Music and Gaming Festival. And basically, about 15 years ago now, someone had the idea, let's do a Woodstock, but for video games and bands in general, but especially video game bands. Mm. And it's another 24-hour con, and their big claim to fame was they would have a huge console room with literally any console you could possibly think of that was open 24 hours, and you could just go and play free of charge. And they had a huge arcade. And when I was going, the, the three or four years that I went, it was still very small. It was the early years. It was very heavily volunteer-run. And it was kind of this indie grunge hipster thing like people were just showing up with like their dad's pickup truck with arcade cabinets in the back like here hook this up for the weekend just give it back to me when you're done <laughs> and uh like it was wild i played splatter house on the turbo graphic 16 the one year in the the console room uh it was the first place i ever played steel battalion they had three steel battalion set up they only made 2500 of them they had three of them there uh you know cool shit like that and then there would just be concerts all night. And there's nothing like getting hammered at 3 o'clock in the morning. You know, some of your friends go to the rave. You go to a concert and just listen to chip tunes all night. It's cool. Amazing. Uh, unfortunately, from what I understand, they've gotten big now. And there's actually a nonprofit that runs them. And there was a big scandal back in January and February. The entire board of directors was forced to resign. And there's a lawsuit. And 
So I don't even know if MAGFest is even going to happen anymore, which is a shame because that was awesome. Uh, and then the last one is just a local one. There's a small group. It's like an alliance of local comic book stores around here. And they run uh, three... They have the Comic-Con license, for what it's worth. And they run three, quote-unquote, Comic-Cons in Scranton, Williamsport, and now Hershey, Pennsylvania. And, I mean, they're kind of fun. They're all basically the same. They have the same artists show up. They have the same special guests come pretty much every year. And they're usually in, you know, conference rooms of a hotel. Uh, But it's a good time for what it is. They're usually only one or two days. Uh, It's a dealer's room, a meet-and-greet session, and a uh, cosplay contest. But the tickets are less than $10. I found some great deals on Golden Age and Silver Age comic books. And I've gotten a lot of pieces of commissioned art there. So, And usually the Scranton one is usually on the weekend of my birthday. So I'm kind of biased. (laughs) That's fantastic. Yeah, I, I feel like there's a lot of like little local comic book conventions. And that's what Free Comic Book Day turns into around here. Um and I hesitate to mention it, but there is like a dealer room and there's a scavenger hunt around town and our local comic book shop, you know, helps all of the other businesses get, get the scavenger hunt together. So that's always pretty fun. Usually because it's so close to the birthplace of TMNT, there's usually somebody like, like Eastman was there one year. That was pretty, pretty damn cool. Yeah. That's a big fucking deal. Yeah. Um, so I think that brings us into like tips and things to do, right? Oh yeah. So I, I figure we can bandy this back. I can do a couple, you can do a couple. Um, so I, I have very different recommendations, uh, between PAX and Anime Boston, but I feel like first we need to talk about purchasing, uh, like getting those badges. Oh yeah. And regardless of what convention you're, you're going to do, I find that the anime conventions are generally easier to get badges to, but if you're going to try it for something PAX, uh, you got to be on the fucking ball <laughs> because PAX badges tend to sell out in like 10 minutes. How many of us were in line the last time we went? Seven, eight of us? Yeah. Vir- it, virtual line, the online line? Yeah. The, so the, the best way to get badges for a big gaming convention is to get together with friends or family, and all of you get on into the, the digital queue at the same time. Uh, PAX is really good about announcing when badges are going to be dropped. Uh, so you can get into the, those digital queues, and then whoever gets in first just buys enough badges for everybody. Or you, you won't have enough. Ch- you won't have a chance to do it again. Yeah, and and that's the crazy part about it. I mean, it's like getting concert tickets. It, it's it's a little bit bonkers. Um, Anime Boston tends to do uh, some drops of badges where, like, they'll open digital pre orders for badges, but they never close them because they never fill up the hinds. Um, so you can you can generally get them discounted the earlier you you book your badges. Um, and uh, badges are basically your all-access pass. Uh, depending on the convention, either you'll get your badges in the mail before the convention, or uh, you'll reserve the badge and you'll show up at the con and get your badge uh, right then and there. If it's a convention where you have to show up to get your badge, 
uh, that you pre-registered for, uh, almost none of them advertise this. Uh, you kind of have to know, or you have to be looking at the website when they share the news. Um, most of those cons, especially anime conventions, you can show up the night before and get your badge, and then you don't have to waste any time the first day of the, the convention. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if Otakon does this, but I know Anime Boston does it. Well, I, you know, I'm sitting here laughing because we're talking about pre-registering and everything. The, the two times I went to Otakon, both times we just, the first time especially because it was Bernie and I, and, you know, as I said back then, if it wasn't the biggest anime convention, it was number two or number three, and it was the biggest one that we could drive to. And so we literally just said, you know what, fuck it, we're just going to go to Otakon. <clears throat> and we piled in his Monte Carlo and we went. And I remember waiting in line, and I have pictures somewhere, I'll have to look. But it's the huge Inner Harbor Convention Center in Baltimore that's like a couple of city blocks long. And how long is a city block in Baltimore? And the line to get badges literally wrapped around the building twice. Yeah. <laughs> but we still got one. We just like showed up and we're like, ah, fuck it. Yeah. And, and I feel like this is one of those, like, if you're new to conventions, you may not know it. But you can stand, like, the first day of the con, you can stand in that badge line for four hours and then half Easily. your day is gone. Easily. So I definitely, my biggest tip is if you can pre-register for badges, do it. And then if you can get them the night before, if they're not sent out in the mail, do it. Anime Boston does that. So at this point, when Holly and I go to Anime Boston, we book the hotel for the night before. And we just show up in Boston, check into our hotel, uh, grab our badges the night before. Usually it's... Uh, this year, I because Anime Boston was back for the first time in two years and everybody was missing it, so I think it took us maybe an hour to get through the line on Thursday to get our badges. But then Friday morning, we had breakfast and we walked into the convention at like 9 a.m. Didn't have to worry, wait in a badge line. We were instantly in. So that's kind of my first real piece of advice. Uh, I... I, I would recommend when you start looking for places to eat around a convention, you would be surprised at how you can still get into places uh, as long as you're not afraid to walk for like five minutes. Uh, it, it's a little bit bonkers, and it, every city is different, of course. But with Anime Boston, uh, we walked two blocks, and we found a restaurant that we could get dinner at with... We just walked in. There was no reservation. There was no wait time. Nobody was in an anime c costume except their, you know, my my friends and I. So uh, that that's a it, it's kind of amazing, especially if you are doing something like Anime Boston, which is in the Prudential Center. Um, you know, places like Wagamama and the California Pizza Kitchen are in the Prudential Center. Uh, they're mobbed. Like it's a four hour wait to get into Wagamama. Uh, but if you walk a block and a half, two blocks, you can get a really good lunch on Newbury Street and none's the wiser. And, I mean, this is going to sound really dated in the post-COVID world, but, you know, when I was routinely going to conventions, you had to walk to find an ATM that would have money in it <laughs> if, if you needed money. Um, they actually... I. Was it, I think it actually was the city of Baltimore, so I think it was Otakon. They had a thing, basically, they had a map, and it, had, it would look like one of those old radiation maps, like if a nuclear power plant ever went critical, 
And it was basically like, you know, in these three blocks, there'll be no money in an ATM immediately. Mm-hmm. And then in these three blocks, it'll be by like the second day and this and that. So if you, for whatever reason, I mean, I know nobody carries cash anymore, but if you're bringing cash, make sure you bring enough for the weekend because chances are you're not going to be able to obtain more. Yeah, I, I will say this was the first year at Anime Boston where electronic transactions were seamless. Yeah. That well, has to be now. But it's never happened. Like, even at PAX, it's always been, oh, the internet's really bad in the convention hall. No, everything went through seamlessly. I, I don't know what happened in the two years. Either the Heinz got really fucking great internet for vendors or somebody figured out how to make an asynchronous digital transaction app because everything, I didn't wait. I, I just tapped my credit card and walked through, which was fucking dangerous, Mark. I spent so much more money than I thought I was going to. Yeah, I don't know if I want that or not because, I mean, that was the one nice thing about cash. You know, we would, mm-hmm. you know, we'll talk about budgeting before, but, like, you had your wallet full and it was like, oh, I spent more today. I won't have that much money tomorrow. And, you know, I need this much money, blah, blah, blah. Well, yeah, if I could just tap and go, yeah. It was dangerous. And honestly, I'll never do it again. But it was our last con for a few years. So I was like, you know what? We're just going to blow this out in style. All right. What do you got for advice? Well, uh, I'll follow up with you about badges and everything. Uh, One that I've noticed, uh, especially with the conventions that send you badges in the mail, you don't often get lanyards with them. No. Now, this is a very minor point because, uh, you know, both you and I have on our list giveaways because there's always swag being given away at any of these conventions. Mm -hmm. And almost any bag worth its salt has a lanyard in it. Uh, But getting, you know, the initial flash and go to get in the convention might be a little tricky if you don't have a lanyard. Um. You know, I'm going to jump on one of the ones you have, but you haven't talked about yet. You're talking about bringing a bag. Yes. And I agree for the most part. (laughs) But keep in mind, if you bring a bag, you have to check said bag. Mm -hmm. And I have been in bag check lines that are a couple hours. Well, I I will say that some cons do bag check. Um, Most do anymore. Not all of them, but most. Um, But there is... I mean, depend. Mm. This podcast advice- get released publicly, but uh, a, a a small backpack under a cloaked costume can generally get you through. Uh, also, if you have bags uh, that are part of a cosplay, um, they're not generally always checked. You have some options. Um, I will say that if you're going for a day con instead of a weekend con, a, a bag is a must. Like, if you're doing one day at PAX East, bring a fucking bag. Like, just don't don't argue with me. Just bring a bag. You're going to buy something and not going to want to carry it around. Or alternatively, you could just do what I do and find one of the 87 vendors that is giving away a literal swag bag and one of those drawstring, cheap backpack-type gimmicks. <laughs> and then you just take all the shit out that you don't actually want, and then you have a free bag. Yeah. The, the thing with these is they will pretty much fall apart by the end of the weekend, but that's okay. You only need them for the weekend. It's true. I tend to like a good backpack, and I this kind of folds in with one of my other pieces of advice, which is please bring a lunch. Bring a lunch. 
because those uh, the the food and cons will make you sick. Just, yeah, I just eat a box of Pocky. I don't eat lunch when I go to conventions. Yeah, I generally will bring a lunch. I have like a whole little setup that I do at PAX, and it's usually like I can eat lunch in like 20 minutes, and then I'm back into the con. Um, but I don't... It, mm, I'm trying to figure out how, how vulnerable I want to be here. If you are a kind of person who may regularly experience gastrointestinal distress... <laughs> You may want to pregame a Beano and then bring your own food because everything you're going to get inside the convention itself is going to be mass produced and will likely stress your system out. Um, and it, it's, I, I can't tell you how many people I've been with who are like new to cons and they're like, I'm going to go get like a chili dog from this weird food truck. And then they're, they, they're two hours in the bathroom and you've just missed most of the con. So, like, it sounds like I'm being a little paranoid about prepping for, for you know, the worst case scenario, but it, some people have constitutions that are off the charts. Mine is not. So I properly prepare myself because I do not want to end up in a bathroom for hours on end. Well, that's fair enough. And that, that can bring me to another one of my tips. And a lot of these, you know, I've talked about, you know, get a free bag, um, you know, do things like that. You have to understand, I was going to most of these conventions. I started going to most of these conventions when I was in college. Yeah. So I was fucking broke. Mm-hmm. So a lot of these are great ways to save money. You know, we talked about it at the end of the last episode. Think about sharing a hotel room. And I don't just mean like, oh, hey, me and DJ, we're going to, you know, split a hotel room. That's probably what I would do now that I'm older and I have a little bit more money. <clears throat> no, I'm talking about, like, don't be afraid to go five, six, seven, eight people to a hotel room. Mm-hmm. Uh, sleep on the floor, sleep on the bed, rotate. You know, you just you figure out who's going to change if you're with, you know, people of different sexes and genders and whatnot. Uh, that could get a little awkward, but we've done it. Uh, the ramen and Pocky diet, it's all you need all weekend. Mm-hmm. Ramen for your major meals, Pocky for your snacks. Um, you could usually get Pocky for about a dollar a box on the con floor somewhere if you look hard enough. Never pay more than $2 a box. Even with inflation, don't pay more than $2 a box. Yeah, yeah, Pocky's uh, cheap. Bring your own booze. Mm-hmm. Do not buy booze anywhere near a fucking convention. You're going to spend so much money. And, you know, have everybody bring something. You're, you're uh, seven, eight guys to a hotel room. Everybody brings a bottle. The boom. You have a bar. Everybody's happy. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't be afraid to carpool. You know, I used to, I like to drive, so, you know, I would drive places. My buddy Steve, uh, who would go with us, he liked to drive. He never minded. Uh, find whoever has the best car on gas that likes to drive. Uh, you know, ask them nicely and, you know, have them drive. Everybody throws in five, ten bucks for gas, pays for either way. Um, you know, you split the cost of parking and, you know, really you're only, by the end of it, even with gas prices today, you're only going to be $25, $30 out of pocket for the trip as opposed to doing it yourself. Yeah. Uh, another big one, if, especially if you're in a bigger group or even if it's just two or three people, don't be afraid to split up. You know, you don't need to hang out the whole fucking weekend. Yeah. Like, especially with, with the digital age of being able to text your friends and have a group message going on and saying, Hey, get the fuck over here. There's something amazing or sh- shit like that. You can have regular, like, Hey, let's, Let's meet up around noon. We'll we'll sync up and see see if there's anything cool that the others want to see. 
Yeah, and the only real issue when you split up is you just have to remember who has one of or all of the hotel keys if somebody wants to go back to the room. But today with texting and everything, that's an easy enough fix. Like, dude, can I have the key? I want to go lay down for a while. Yeah. Um, so that's not a problem. Uh, my last little tip, and I'll throw it back to you. You know, you were talking about gastrointestinal distress. You are talking about Bino. Uh, so we're gonna, we, we, the odors are already out there. Just fucking shower. Don't be that guy. Yeah. You know, s- stereotypes exist for a reason. There's a lot of stinky people at cons. Don't, don't be one of them. Yeah, every con has the same, you know, get at least eight hours of sleep, at least two meals a day, and at least one shower. And that is real. Like, there are, it, you, you might get really excited and you may forget to shower for a day and you are running around a convention and you are sweating and you stink. Just assume you stink. Just assume. Make sure you bring deodorant uh, and, you know, try not to impose your stink on other people, which is something that I wish more people believed in. And I mean, just speaking from personal experience, it's hard to cosplay three days, man. By the end of three days, your costume is funky. Uh, Yes, I do have a piece of advice I didn't write down, which is uh, if you really want to get into conventions and you do it a few years, cosplay. Just do it. Because a convention as a cosplayer is such a different experience as a convention as just a normal convention goer. It's and true. It, it will unite you with the community that you are going to that con for in a way that you never thought possible. I My cosplays at this point are old and obscure because I've been doing them for 10 years. Um, but, you know, I cosplayed Digimon uh, this past weekend. I, I don't know anybody that talks about Digimon nowadays, uh, but there was a whole Digimon photo shoot and I got to meet up with people who were also passionate about Digimon and we got to be like, oh my God, you're this character. And it was, it was super cool and everybody's an introvert. So don't worry about it. Like it'll, it, it'll help you get out of your shell. I always found it uh, amazing. Uh, and pretty much the only thing I cosplay anymore is Dallas from Payday because I have the mask and I have a brown suit and I'm old and I'm lazy and I don't want to put any effort in otherwise. Um, but in years past when I did it, uh, my costumes were, in to quote DJ, they were fine. Yeah. They were nowhere near anywhere that you see some of these, you know, different photo galleries and things. But at the same time, they weren't like the worst stuff walking around, but they, they were fine. But it never blew my, it always blew my mind just how many people wanted photos. Yeah. And it's like, this isn't that good. <laughs> like, you don't want a photo of me. <laughs> but, but they do. And it's but they do. amazing. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I could, and we should probably do an entire episode on cosplay at some point. I have many, many, many thoughts. Um, but it, it's fun. Go be a cosplayer. Like, cosplaying is for everybody. Cosplay is not consent. Uh, and, in general, most cons have done a really good job of stamping out things like glomping and shit like that. Um, but, you know, if people give you shit because you are cosplaying a character that is maybe not your body type or your gender or your race, uh, those are shitty people. And wh- find somebody in security and go, hey, that guy's a dick. Maybe get them out of here. Like, just that's a thing you can do. It's true. Uh, All right, I'm going to blaze through the rest of my advice here. Um, Wear comfortable shoes. I know this sounds so silly, but wear comfortable shoes. Don't wear combat boots. You will kill yourself. It's hard if you're cosplaying, though. 
you know, I still go out of my way to make sure, like, I've got, like, gel inserts in my shoes or something. Like, my feet are killing me on the first day. Um, the other thing is, and you're not going to think about this, I, I actually fucked this up in at Anime Boston this year. Um, drink water. Drink water. Especially in a multi-day convention, because you will forget, and then your muscles will seize up the next day, and it will hurt like fuck to walk. So... Just drink water. Even if you're like a twenty-something-year-old Spitfire, drink water because you're gonna be walking. And honestly, the dealer room in Artist Alley usually you're just walking on concrete. Those are not comfortable floors. Like you're gonna fuck yourself up. See, this is where you and I differ in our life credos and the way we treat our body. When you first started that, I was sitting here nodding, going, "Yeah, you should drink water because you're gonna be hungover as fuck." Mm. <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I generally tucker myself out before I get drunk, so. Um, All right, really big piece of advice here. Challenge yourself to try something new. Because uh, for many people who would be interested in the things that conventions offer, uh, a lot of us are introverted. A lot of us are kind of nerdy, and we don't get out very much and we don't go outside our comfort zones so challenge yourself to look at the schedule for the convention and find something that you might not know something about or uh ask a question to a vendor or you know put yourself out there you don't have to be annoying about it you don't have to stress yourself out about it but but put yourself out there in a new and interesting way the first uh year i went to anime boston i went to a rave Never done it since. It's not really my scene. But I'm so glad I went because I found a new music artist that I like who was, like, mixing chip tunes on an, a Game Boy. Like, it was amazing playing this concert. It was so cool. Um, generally, a convention, especially if it's big enough, will have a concert. And most of them are nerdy as fuck, and they're amazing. Like, uh, this past time uh, at Anime Boston, there was a music artist called IQ out of Washington, D.C. He's an African-American nerd rapper who was rapping about gun violence in the United States, and also Naruto. It was ridiculous, and he was amazing. Uh, And I am not generally much of a concert goer, but that was such a fun experience. And I go, I try to force myself to go to a concert every year at Anime Boston because there's so much fun. Um, panels. I I have a whole section of advice just for panels. Um, so I feel like I'm going to bounce this back to you too, but panels, don't try to do all of them. Um, because... You can't if it's a big enough conference. No. Many of them overlap. Don't, and, and don't try to fill every single hour with a panel. Um, there is an app, it's called Guidebook, and most of the major uh, conventions will post guidebooks and schedules out to this app when the con is coming up. Get that app, and you can make your own calendar, and you can add panels to your little schedule, uh, but don't make it your Bible. Just find a thing here and there that you want to go see. Generally, fan panels, and Mark may disagree with me on this one, I don't, I don't like fan panels most of the time. Uh, unless it's like a here's how to sew or here's how to cosplay kind of panel. If it's like, sometimes it'll be something really weird, like 
how Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was a reflection of the Cold War. I don't bother going to any of those. I <laughs> 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 see. I would actually go to that. I, see, you were making a good argument, and I was agreeing with you. And then you dropped that. I was like, I'd go to that actually. <laughs> Um, but there, there are some really cool panels. I recommend industry panels. If you can get into them, line up early for those. Um, there is usually a magic, the gathering panel at every PAX. Uh, and if you show up, you generally get a free promo promo card and you learn about magic news that that's pretty cool. If you're into magic, the gathering, um, I went to a Kadancha panel at anime Boston one year and, uh, for asking a question about rave master, uh, I got a free the the I got a free volume of manga and it turned out to like turn me on to seven deadly sins. It was amazing. So industry panels are are great and they usually give some free stuff. Uh, line up early, line up early, line up early. Like if it's a fan one, you can usually just walk in at any time. Uh, anime Boston and other anime conventions generally have programming the whole weekend. So if you ever just want to, like, get away from the crowds and calm down for a little while, look up what, what anime is running in what room. And you can just go watch an anime for a half an hour and just chill. And those are fun. Um, generally, they'll do an, an entire run of an anime. So it'll go for, like, four hours. You just pop in and, you know, check it out and be like, hey, this might be cool. I'll go check out uh, when I get back from the con. Keep an eye out for ticketed events. Usually, ticketed events at, at specifically anime conventions are things like concerts, the masquerade, the opening ceremonies. Um, you sometimes need tickets for those. The tickets are generally free, but you do have to like look into the schedule and find where it is. Usually, it's on like the top floor in a corner somewhere. There's a ticket booth. You walk up, and, and they just hand you the ticket, and you walk away. It's very easy to do, but you have to find the ticket. Uh, so that that's all my my advice about panels. They're cool. They can be fun. Some of them are real duds, um, but you know that d- shouldn't stop you from exploring them. What do you think about panels, Mark? Uh, I agree with most of what you said. Uh, you know, if you don't have the app, another way that we used to do it was um, every one of these conventions has has a program. You know, as mm-hmm. you said, has a guidebook. And there's always, for any of the bigger ones, there's a big fold-out schedule for, like, the whole weekend. So a lot of times what we used to do, even if you only have a couple people, you could still do this. Get a pack of highlighters. Everybody picks a different color. Highlight what you want to do in your color. You know, DJ highlights what he wants to do in his color. Lou highlights what he wants to do in his color. Mount it somewhere in the hotel room and just take a picture of it. Yeah. And then you'll have your, your schedule with you. Uh, I definitely agree. Definitely line up early. Don't be afraid to stay late. Basically, if there's a panel you really want to go to, it's almost like setting a DVR. Block out 35 to 40 minutes before and 35 to 40 minutes after. And the best example I can give is one year at MAGFest, they had John St. John, who DJ knows as the voice of Big the Cat. (laughs) <laughs> but uh, the rest of the world knows as the voice of Duke Nukem. And That's, he was... You got me in one. <laughs> and he was doing... There was one kid in front of me at this panel who was holding a copy of Sonic Adventure for him to sign. He was the only kid in this whole panel. Um, but he uh, he was doing a Q&A panel, and 
in the game room, in the dealer room, rather, somebody was selling a copy of Time to Kill for the original PlayStation. So I bought that, you know, and got there early, got in line, had a pretty good seats. And when it was over, he's like, hey, you know, the panel's over now. If you want to leave, cool. But they told me there's nothing else in this room and I've got nothing to do. So I'm just going to hang out. Mm-hmm. So it was like a three hour panel. <laughs> it was awesome. That's amazing. And I still have my signed copy of Time to Kill. Uh, again, don't, you know, this goes with DJs. Uh, go out of your comfort zone. Don't be afraid to, you know, peruse some of the adult entertainment. And adult doesn't always mean, you know, triple X rated. It could be something alcohol related. It could be um, there was a screening of a bootlegged Harry Potter movie that Bernie and I ended up at where they locked the doors and it was 18 plus. And we had no idea what was going on because we hadn't seen any Harry Potter. But apparently it was a very big deal. Was it wizard people, dear readers? Uh, he's yeah. I thought it was he's a wizard, dear readers. But yes, yeah, yeah, dear yeah. readers, yeah. dear readers was in the title. Yeah. I may or may not have a. Bo- Never mind. I'm not admitting that. Well, I saw it. I couldn't <laughs> tell you what the fuck happens, but I saw it because it was an 18 plus panel. It was funny uh, as hell. So we did that. Uh, you know that that's another fun thing to check out. Uh, and just if you find you know some random panels, some of them could be really fun. Some. I, I generally agree with DJ about fan panels, but some of them, if you have a good read on them, they could be a lot of really fun interaction. Yeah. Uh, it, it, fan panels, I feel like, is like appreciating whiskey. It takes a while for you to figure out what's good and what's shit. Yes. Uh, but I did enjoy, uh, there was one, it was like the most underrated Sega Saturn games. And basically the panel was like, hey, you two, you're going to come and play this game on this projector for everybody else. Okay, you're done. Sit down. You two, you're going to play this game. Blah, blah, blah. So that was really cool. Uh, so yeah, no, pa- panels are great. Uh, but uh, anymore, now that I'm older, I mostly stay to the dealer's room. But I, all right. Yeah, I, I usually do like a crafty panel. Um, at Anime Boston, they have a whole series of them throughout the weekend called How to Sew. And I did get to go to one where we made Pau fruit from uh, Kingdom Hearts. And I actually learned a couple of new stitches for sewing that improved my cosplay. So... Uh, that was pretty cool. What was the weirdest, wildest, funniest, insert adjective here, panel you've ever gone to? I went to one, uh, this was like maybe two or three years in Anime Boston. I went to one that was called Yude and Yokai. Uh, and it was all about Japanese mythology. And the, the topic was amazing. But uh, for anybody who knows things about anime... The word yude is very close to the word yuri. Yes, and it is. somebody showed up to this panel thinking it was about yaoi and yuri and asked some very uncomfortable questions of the panelists around why... Because uh, they were just very confused and what spirits and demons had to do with XXXaholic... And it was hilarious watching this five-minute exchange until the panelists were like, you you know that Yude and Yuri are not the same things, right? Oh, boy. I went to... I can't remember if it was at Otakon or Anime USA. I think it was Anime USA. There was just a panel entitled How to Walk in Nine-Inch Heels. Amazing. So we decided to go. And uh, it was... uh, an older woman, not older woman, but she was in her 40s, who was the, the panelist, and she came out in, you know, like a nice suit jacket and pencil skirt and these thigh-high boots that were up there. 
and it was funny, you know, she was basically it. It did actually teach you techniques how to walk in high heels for cosplay, but the main thing was like about building confidence and coming out of your shell and everything. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, she actually got an audible like groan and some booze because she goes, "These aren't actually nine inches; these are six and a half." And everybody's like, "Oh, come on, <laughs> go get bigger heels." That's hilarious. I, I always try to now. seek out something pride related at cons too, um, because it, 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 cons are a good place to find your people. Oh yeah, um, but I feel it like there's one big topic we haven't talked about yet, and the that's manga library, <laughs> manga library, and artist alley, and the dealer room—the things that are not panels but are major reasons to go to conventions. If you're not going to a convention to buy shit, I don't know why you're going. Yeah, exactly. So why don't you cover man- manga libraries, and I'll start down the other route. Um, basically, you know, this is obviously more of a thing in anime conventions, but uh, DJ was talking about, you know, you can go and sit and watch anime and chill out. Most places will have a manga library, and it works just like a real library. You can check books out, usually into a designated area, but still you could check books out for free. Uh, it's quiet. You know, you can't talk. You have to silence your electronic devices. Uh, but you could just sit and chill and read. And uh, it's a great way not only to relax and unwind, but it's a great way to read some stuff, uh, try before you buy. Mm-hmm. You know, because almost everything that's in the library you can find out on the dealer floor in some form or another. And I usually try to take a little time, especially at 24-hour conventions, because most of the time the library is open 24 hours too. And, you know, you're running around and you're all hopped up on, you know, X, Y, and Z. It's like, oh, I got to go sit, just read for a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and then comes in the the two very unique things that generally every convention has. There's usually an artist alley, and there's always a dealer or exhibitor room. Uh, and they're two very different things, so if you don't know what they are, um, an artist alley is for fan artists, uh, usually. Uh, and fan art can be literally anything. I bought a hoodie and a button-down shirt in the in Artist Alley this year. It could be anything. Usually, like, 60 to 70% of it is uh, digital art prints and canvases and, and, and things like that. Um, so you can get some really fun art. Uh, you know, if you've got... If you're going to a gaming convention and you've got some favorite video game characters, you can probably find some fan art of them, and that's always really cool. Um... PAX East kind of slaps Artist Alley and the dealer room together. Um, but uh, you can, by walking around PAX, you can find, like, official prints of, like, Magic the Gathering art. So, like, I've got an official Magic print signed by the guy who did the art for Glimmer Void, and that was really cool. Uh, at Anime Boston, they are two separate rooms, um, and generally they're enormous. Uh, Artist Alley is usually on one floor, uh, and again, fan art, uh, it could be anything. Like I said, uh, there's, there's plushies, there's art prints, there's keychains and pins, there's like, uh, Daujin and headcanon, uh, comics. There's, uh, cust- uh, there's all new comics. There's, uh, some, th- there's a pair of, uh, an artist and a writer that I follow, uh, who do a comic called Star Power. They're uh, at Anime Boston every year, and every year I buy the next hardcover of Star Power. And Star Power is a webcomic. You can read it anyways, but it's really cool to, like, 
meet them, get it signed, talk about what they're doing. Um, and it's uh, the other half of Star Power is Mookie, who also wrote um, Dominic Deegan. Uh, so it, it, no, there's no reason why anybody would know about these, but uh, he's doing a, a, a f- super future sequel thing to Dominic Deegan. I got to meet him this year and be like, oh my God, you're doing this new thing. I want that. That's amazing. And he was super grateful. Um, there's usually an art, like an official art show. Uh, sometimes there's like an art auction at these things where you can walk in, you can bid on something. Uh, usually in the art auction, things are a little, I don't want to say upscale, but there's usually more canvas stuff and more screen prints. Um, but you know, you'll still find, uh, it prints and things like that. The, this is all in stark comparison to the dealer or exhibitor room, which is generally, and I say, I'm saying generally here, it's generally, uh, more or less officially official merch. So you're, you're going, your figures, your blind boxes, uh, you, there are generally at anime Boston, there's three or four booths that are just giant, uh, manga stores that you can go and buy whatever the hell you want. And usually they have stuff that's coming out in a month. So you can get a few volumes early. Um, you in the dealer room, you get to meet the actual people who put out your favorite insert piece of media here. If it's a anime convention, uh, you know Funimation, Viz, um, Verve, Crunchyroll, they all generally have booths, so you can go and see what's coming out for anime in the U.S. Um, at a like a PAX, uh, it. PAX is really interesting, and Mark can talk about more about this too, um, because you're also meeting indie developers. Uh, usually at Anime Boston, anime, manga, it's a Japanese medium that we happen to be huge fans of here in the U.S., uh, but you're not, you're not going to meet mangaka at Anime Boston. They, they don't get the writers out here. Um, but at PAX, you get to meet game developers and game development companies. Yeah, it's kind of fun. I mean, even, you know, uh, Red Scare, which you've heard TJ and I go on and on and on and on. I got at PAX East originally, and the creators were there, and I actually got to play a couple hands with one of the gentlemen who was a co-creator of the game, Mm -hmm. which was really kind of cool. You know, they have a whole, like, for video games, they have a whole indie artist alley. Like, this is a whole section... For if you know if this is more your jam, if you don't want any of the big AAA titles, if you don't want this, here's a whole wing with all these people who have printed, you know, fifty, uh, a hundred, a thousand copies, whatever of their game, you know, spent their life savings and they're hoping to get picked up, hoping to get noticed. Like there's a spot for them at these things. It's mm-hmm. kind of cool. Yeah, it's really cool. My favorite, like I tend to just crawl in the alley uh, at at Anime Boston. It's my favorite, not Anime Boston, PAX East. It's my favorite thing to look at when I go to PAX East. And then I'll, you know, secondary is the board games. Uh, and then, you know, tertiary is the, is the big studios. So what I tend to do, my biggest piece of advice is if you go to these little indie developers, they all have business cards or pins or stickers. Grab them. Because you will not remember two weeks later that really cool, the name of that really cool game you played. Unless it's the sinking city. <laughs> yeah. 
I was really excited when that popped up on the PlayStation Store. I was like, I played that at PAX. Mm-hmm. There's definitely some smaller developers that I always go back to see. So I always visit Devolver's booth when I go because they make some of my favorite games. I, I always visit Supergiant. You know, I, I actually have some Supergiant merch, which is crazy. I have a T-shirt from Bastion. Uh, you've met the developers of, uh, of Payday a couple of times, right? Uh, yeah, when they were promoting Raid, which was uh, kind of fun. Uh, I got to meet a lot of the Starbreeze slash Overkill slash what the hell is the other company? However many chambers, 10 chambers, 9 chambers. They're all the same company. They're all like the same 10 people. Mm. Uh, they were at PAX East, and I was actually cosplaying as Dallas, and uh, Almir, who was you know, one of the main developers of Payday, was talking to me mostly because of my cosplay, and then I recognized who he was, and <laughs> a bunch of us actually got to skip the insanely long line to play the demo to play the demo with Elmir and the developers. That's and you, you have never lived until one, you get to do that. But two, as you're walking back, literally a line of like 500 to a thousand people are just burning a hole in the back of your head yeah. as you're leaving. Yeah. It's, it's so funny to hear like how different people do cons. Cause like, I don't, I don't go for the big developers because I don't want to wait in a two hour long line when I've got basically 10 hours to do all the things that I want. Uh, So I never go to Nintendo. I usually like swing through Square Enix to see if there's like a cool like piece of merch I want to get. But I don't wait in line to play any of those (laughs) Square Enix games. Um, And I just go straight for Indie Row because the developers want to talk to you. They want to sell their game. Some of those games are shit. But um, I have found so many cool video games at PAX that I bought later. Yeah. Yeah, I've got a couple upstairs, so I've got at least four or five. But yeah, definitely go to conventions. They're amazing. They are. They're they're not cheap, but they're well worth it. Truth. I think that wraps it today, right, buddy? I think that wraps us today. Take us the fuck out of here. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening, of course. Uh, we're hoping to get back in a more regular schedule soon. Um, I, I, I don't think there's going to be any delay next week, but who knows. Um, so thank you for listening. Thanks for being patient. Uh, we, we hope you're subscribing. Uh, we, we know it's weirdly rolling off of Facebook at some point, but we're going to keep posting out on social media about our new episodes we're out there on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and Podbean and Listen Notes. Uh, huge props to Listen Notes, by the way, Keep, keeping our shit up to date. Uh, that, that we didn't have to do shit for that. No, they love us for whatever reason. Yeah. Uh, we release at 8 a.m. on Fridays uh, right into your favorite podcatcher. Uh, I'm trying to get our social media stuff to be a little bit more regular, too. Um, Mark, what are we, we going to do next week? Oh. <sighs> You know, I, I mean, if, if we want to keep the two for going, you, you mentioned cosplay, and I was very intrigued by that. Mm. Um, but, I mean, in terms of actual topics, we have uh, the second part of collecting we could do. You could talk about all the fun baby-related whatnot that you've been uh, learning, because I, I don't think anybody's been reading more these past six months than you. Um, It's all on one very specific topic, but nevertheless, uh, I mean, we have just a couple different, you know, we could do, 
Well, you know, we again we could say in a theory too. We could do headcanon and fan theories. That's another fun one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have options. I mean, I could take a crack at doing like rookie parenting and whiskey. And you know, I could sit here and be the unsuitable uncle, which <laughs> I've made a career out of. You could. So, so next, yeah, the, next week, rookie parenting and whiskey. Rookie parenting and whiskey. Or, as I like to see it, how long before DJ slowly goes mad? <laughs> it's cute that you don't think I'm already mad. Well, see, there you go. <laughs> uh, well, ne- tune in next week for Rookie Parenting and Whiskey. Uh, we, of course, want to thank our, our silent third uh, co-host here, Nuno Henry Silva, for our intro and outro music. We love you, buddy. I, I believe he's uh, firmly as constant in Boston now. He's moved. Um, but we'll uh, we'll try to get him uh, back on soon, and we'll make sure to send you to his SoundCloud. Uh, oh, yeah. he, he does have those two books out, so shameless plug. And uh, yeah, until next week, cheers. Salute.